Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another Forza Italian football podcast. After, well, I almost had a crazy weekend. It was a crazy end to the weekend of match day six of this Serie A season. I'm Connor Clancy, and I'm joined by Kev Pugzelski. Kev, a little bit more settled now than you were when we spoke on the preview pod. Yeah, I'm not rushed. I'm in clean underwear. It's all good. Well, that makes it sound like something else happened, Kev. Can we just establish you did not dirty your underwear? They were just unchanged because you ended up spending an extra day in Italy, right? 100%. Okay. Um, Although, I know you well enough to question that, but we won't get into it. We'll save that for a, a private Patreon pod. We're also joined by Vito Doria. Vito, good morning to you. How are you? I'm all right, Connor. Still feeling a bit like a zombie, but hopefully the coffee kicks in soon. I hope so too, because as Kev said before we came on, you looked tired. Now, I was putting it down to the hair being a little bit bedheady, but Kev seems to be enjoying how tired you look, so I feel a little bit sorry for you, Vita. Uh, Thank you, Connor. (laughs) I'm always the nice one to you on this part, but... You don't need to worry about him and Burnsy ganging up on you because Ewan is, of course, on holidays this week. He's down in Puglia, guys. And I don't know what the last update you got from me on this was, but I was having a day the other day, right? You know when you just have one of those days and I was venting to, to Burnsy and I was fuming. And then he sent me a load of photos of where he was on my request and then that just made me more angry because he was in body i was hating him and then he goes well just come so then i i went and booked a trip to Puglia. so i'm going to meet him on thursday and i'm very much looking forward to it so i'll be having a lovely time down there with him this week and patrons we will chat to you me and bernsey from Puglia this week so kev that means you're off duty when it comes to the preview pod and and Euro's pod as well, probably, so you can be relaxed there. But guys, we've got to get into this weekend's action of Serie A. Match day six has taken place. I mentioned it finished in chaos, but we've got to get through the other results before we mention what has just happened. There were three games played on Saturday, a couple of tight games. I mean, most of the European teams played, the Champions League teams played, rather, on Saturday. Napoli beat Spezia 1-0 just. Giacomo Raspadori got his first goal for the Parthenon play. Then Inter beat Torino 1-0 again just. Uh, Marcelo Brozovic scored a late, late winner for the Nerazzurri. Um Milan beat Samp 2-1. They went down to 10 men here, and I don't think anybody expected this game to be as close as it was. Rafael Liao getting sent off in quite unusual circumstances i guess we could say but we'll probably discuss that a little bit more through the pod the lunch match on sunday was atalanta one cremonese one now we mentioned sassuolo playing a lot of these lunch matches it seems like this year cremonese are going to be that early sunday kickoff because they had it last week against sassuolo maybe that's when they took the baton from them and and they're now going to be the the early the always early team Sassuolo themselves lost 3-1 at home to high-flying Udinese. Bologna beat Fiorentina 2-1 in the Derby del Apennino. Lecce-Monza was 1-1. Burnsy was at that. Monza got the first point of the season. And we've got a lovely, a lovely audio note from Ewan from Lecce on that one. It takes about two seconds, but we'll play that out for your listeners. Lazio beat Verona 2-0. And it finished for now on Sunday evening. With Juventus coming from two goals behind to draw 2-2 with... Serenitana. The equaliser came in stoppage time. Then they thought they won it. And then a load of people got sent off. I think there were four red cards shown. And all of the fun there happened after the 93rd minute, basically. There is still one game left to play. 
Roma, Empoli, Empoli, Roma rather, on Monday evening with the Giallorossi looking to bounce back after a couple of disappointing results. So, Kevin, Vito, I guess we've got to start with Juve Salernitana because it was a pretty unremarkable weekend of fixtures. The results mostly went as you might expect them to, except for this one. And I mean, the way it ended, Kev, can you please try to make sense of what happened after the 90th minute here, please? Well, yeah, we had a, a, a rather rash challenge, which brought a penalty two minutes into the uh, additional time that Bonucci, firstly, he missed, you know, it was an awful penalty. Um, and then he sort of put, put away the rebound. Then on uh, 90 plus five, they'd, they'd won a corner, gets swung over, Milik uh, rises to sort of head in, but um, Benucci again was, he was definitely offside. I think there was some debate because he didn't manage to touch the ball before it went in, but he, he tries, tries to head it. And whether Sepe Sef, would have reacted, because you know, it, it was all quite close quarters, I don't know, but... Benucci's still there and making an action for it, which you could argue, again, that, that, that Sepe didn't react uh, to the initial Milik header because of because of Benucci going for the ball. I've seen Luigi Giuseppe up close enough yeah, to know yeah. that's not the reason he didn't react. <laughs> no, no, indeed. Um, but, but obviously Milik wheels away, takes his shirt off. I actually couldn't recall when he'd received his first mm. um, caution and the UK broadcaster suggested that he'd got booked twice during the celebration so I'm yet to know if that's been confirmed but anyway so he he was walking off and you thought oh you know that's that's kind of the end of the craziness and he was walking off so kind of not happy but content you know almost that you thought oh the rest blowing the whistle for you know final whistle at the same time as well and then suddenly Juan Quadrado is pushing Fazio and Fazio sort of reacting very aggressively back. They both were eventually sent off, but it, it, it resulted then in this sort of melee of players that were sort of pushing and shoving each other. All while up on the on the up on the screen for those watching it on TV is is this sort of VAR VAR checking offside. And you know, and as as I explained um, a moment ago, and he we were Benucci was very much offside, the goal gets ruled out and and right at the death, Salernitana decided to sort of fly down the other end, and they 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 had a they had a chance themselves that the, the game was that crazy that you thought well they they're gonna they're gonna win it, but that was deflected, and Allegri was sent off for obviously um, abusing the ref during the the goal being disallowed. It was it was a, a very eventful end. I can clarify that Milik's first yellow card came in the eighty third minute. He. Oh. Um held back a Salernitana defender as after losing the ball but it was a, it was mad this because we'll talk about the the decision itself but Milik Fazio Quadrado and Allegri all got sent off in this 3 minute spell there were 4 minutes of added time and we went beyond 100 minutes it was it was a glorious glorious end to a football match and um, and I'm going to claim credit for this being the way it was, Kev, because you saw my tweet today, right? Which was that I'm obviously not watching Juve because oh. Juve are dreadful. And then and then they turn up this. But you know what it means? It means that next week, they're definitely not going to turn out a game like this. It's going to be less than 2.5 goals in all of their games now until the, the winter break. But the decision, Vito... I don't feel like it was. It, it should have been ruled out. Now I know he made the move to the ball, but it just felt a little bit like really. Yeah, just speaking in generalities, just some of the decisions. You know, it's not just this game, but you know, just across the board in Serie A, it's just odd. Yeah, I think uh, you just got to wonder that whether it's just the standard of refereeing in general in Italy has really declined over the last few years or, you know, there's too much insistence on relying on VAR to clarify mistakes. So, yeah, I think that one is a bit bit odd. And, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, probably for Juve, it's a bit of a shame for them 
that, you know, they were 2-0 down and they get so close to winning and then to have that taken away, I think regardless of who it is, you just feel dismayed because you've done all this, you know, to come back and then, yeah, you're just stuck with a point as opposed to the three. Yeah, I can see... Yeah, go well, on, go on. First, firstly, I don't think I ever thought I'd hear Vito say, for Juve, it's a shame. His dad's <laughs> a Juve fan, I remember. <laughs> of course, his dad's a Juve fan. And, you know, I, I actually think um, there's a lot of Premier League clubs that would probably quite be, be quite happy with the referees in Italy because, you know, the way that they make a dog's dinner of the VAR... Um, I know, you know, we, we, me and you kind of clearly disagree on whether it should have been ruled out, but I don't think, I think generally, actually, they're not, the refereeing in Italy isn't that bad. Right. No, don't get me wrong. I'm very pleased that it was ruled out. And I did look at it. And when I saw someone jump at first, I thought, who was that? Because it was quite clear they didn't touch it because you could see that Milik got the original header on it. And when I saw that it was Benucci, I won't lie. It did make it a bit funnier, the fact that it was him. Interestingly, actually, because when they were showing the replays, the defender closest to the Benucci was holding his shirt, that his shirt had come up to his his sort of chest because you could see his white T-shirt or undershirt, whatever he was wearing. And that made me think that they might just give it because if not, there's going to be a foul or it's going to be one of these, you know, these things that sort of you know, kick off all of the Juventus conspiracy theorists that the, the, the header gets ruled out, but then they get a penalty anyway, which Benucci scores. Now, that didn't come about. But it no, did but I guess me... Benucci was in an offside position, so technically yeah, I... he couldn't have been fouled, could he? Uh, yeah, that's, we've, that's probably a whole pod there on mm. <laughs> when the foul started and was he pulled before he got into an offside position. And yeah, so they've been... This game was a game that we've got to talk to you about specifically, Kev. Now, we are going... I am needing to talk to you about this exact topic, so remind me to do this tomorrow at some point when we're speaking, but I didn't watch it. So when I was trying to catch up on it, I didn't know who was at home, Kevin, because, (laughs) well, Salernitana's home colour is like... It's Granata, right? It's, It's a type of red... And mm-hmm. Juventus wore a, a pink and blue kit. Yeah. This game no, was in Turin, wasn't it? It was definitely in Turin. I had a feeling they'd do this when they launched their kit earlier <laughs> in the week. Uh, I actually like the kit. It's, like, it's, it's, not, it's not as offensive as, as, as some they've brought out in previous I'm really years. I'm you said that because I was going to say I like it a lot. It's yeah, right up my street now. The colours the colors are very sort of um, appealing. And... You know, I tweeted before the game, or maybe just slightly into the start of the game, that you know they should forfeit the points because then they were, they were. Yeah, and I, I, I will stand by that. Most most games this season, when sides are wearing away strips at home, um, I don't think it's necessarily such a bad thing when you go away and there's not a clash, but providing you're not in direct conflict with the team you're playing. And this was the thing, you know, you're, you're playing at home. Not only that, you're playing a team that that play almost in the colour that you've chosen to um, chosen to wear. I was more offended by certainly Vlavic and Quadrado with these under these long sleeved undershirts that they were wearing. Now I knew I know there was a FIFA directive a few years ago that it had to be the same colour as the shirt, and they've gone for almost a fluorescent pink, where the majority of that shirt I would say is a is a, a, a purple, you know, a ready, you know, and and they just it just clashed completely. So it just looked ridiculous, frankly, and um, that was more offensive to the eyes than the actual shirt. But yeah, they shouldn't have been shouldn't have been wearing it. And and good, you know, I'm glad they played so awful because this wasn't this. You know, Salernitana actually, I was a bit annoyed with them because how they came out after being two 0 up. There's a bit of a cliche that does the rounds about two 0 being the um, the most dangerous scoreline because you kind of sit back and you try and you try and hold that lead and that's exactly what they did, you know because Juventus only looked so much better in the second half because Salernitana barely attacked them with a two goal lead already in their in their hands, and if they if they played exactly the same tactics that they'd done in the first half, I think they would have they would have won the game. I hadn't noticed the undershirt before until right now. You'd, I don't get that. I know I'm going back a little bit, but I, I don't get that because. The the kit providers 
surely provide the undershirts too. So surely they can they can make one that's the same colour. But Salernitana were decent in the first half. We've got to, to give them that. And Vito, I don't know about you, but I don't see Salernitana being anywhere near the trouble they found themselves in at the back end of last season. No, I think that uh, they should be able to survive relegation. Uh, the Granata have made some more than adequate signings in the summer transfer window. They've got a good amount of Serie A experience, and then there are a few other players that have gained experience elsewhere, and they're doing quite well at the moment. It seems that uh, at least David Nicola is probably one of the strongest squads that he's had to work with in his coaching career so far. And... Uh, I think uh, we won't see the sort of struggles that they had last season. It's a totally different uh, squad. Well, it's not a totally different squad, but it's certainly a totally different environment now and a different set of circumstances. So I think uh, we'll see a more competitive Salernitana throughout the campaign. You must have been quite pleased seeing Antonio Candreva get on the score sheet away at Juventus. Oh, look, it. It was a shame that uh, he was let go, but uh, at the same time, I think it goes to show that even at 35, he can still be an asset to one of those battling clubs in Serie A. And for a club like Salernitana, not only does he provide experience, but uh, he still has a lot of energy for someone his age and he can provide some uh, moments of uh, brilliance, you know, as long as he doesn't uh, balloon shots uh, off target when he does actually get them in they can be stupendous Crosses. another another player who was a legend in both cities Genoa and Milan Christoph Piontek obviously he's gone to Salernitana now Kevin I think he's going to be a really good signing for them this season I think he will be really good at Salernitana it 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 was one of those players when sort of I looked up at the TV and I thought oh okay that's it's that very clear sort of fall from grace <laughs> you know it, it, it's one of those when you when when you see a player that was you know tearing things up a few years back and then they're at a side that was fighting relegation the year before um it, yeah it's one of those where you it, it's, it's not necessarily a fall from grace of the individual it for me it sort of symbolizes how you need to be very careful like the next move that you make you know career wise not you know not, not not even maybe just as a sportsman but you know you go and chase a big money and you don't stick around and get that little bit more experience with you know in Piontek's case it would have been Genoa before we went to Milan where everything started to sort of hit the hit the slide um but yeah I think he'll do he'll do all right there I think so too and I don't think it's it's too bad all in all, he's living in Campania. He's going to eat well, enjoy some good weather, enjoy some good scenery. He's going to have a lovely old time down there. Um, speaking of Campania, top of the table, we've got Napoli. And they just about Vito beat Spezia. That Giacomo Raspadori goal that I spoke about earlier came in the 89th minute. It's great to see him get on the score sheet for the Partenope. And it was kind of inevitable that they were going to struggle a little bit against Spezia having taken care of Liverpool so handily oh look just briefly on that win against Liverpool I don't think I've seen Napoli play that well in Europe in a very long time probably the last time would have been when Napoli defeated Chelsea by the same score in 2012 so I think the Partenope fans should be very proud of that result as well as the performance I can tell you Vito they were (laughs) Yeah, well, you had, uh, well, pretty much like a first, uh, well, not so much front row seats, but you were present in person to see how uh, Napoli dismantled the Reds. But, uh, yeah, back to this game, I think, you know, you go to that switch, you know, from facing a strong team like Liverpool to a provincial side like uh, Spezia. And uh, with Luca Gotti as coach, uh, the Aquilotti are more or less uh, more con- conservative side than they were under Italiano and Motta. Uh, for Napoli, was tougher to break down. But uh, to have someone like Raspadori get on the score sheet, it's a big plus for them. They do have a fair share of attacking options, Napoli. And uh, I think it's a good thing for Raspadori, given that he's only arrived at the club recently. And surely this puts him in the 
good books with his teammates, the new coach, and of course, a new fan base. Yeah, for sure. I was I was quite surprised to see Raspadori playing as the as the central of the that front three. To be honest, I don't see that being his position at Napoli. I, I had a mini crisis when Raspadori scored. Why? Because he was wearing number eighty one. Yes. And, I, and I, I'm quite comfortable that most footballers now are younger than I am. <laughs> okay, you I, thought that's when he was born. But now I started thinking, oh, now this is really bad if that's like when his dad was born. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and I thought, surely I can't be as old as a, fo- a professional footballer's dad. And then um, I realised that he wore 18 at Sassuolo yeah, last, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, last year. So and and but then Giovanni Simeone is wearing eighteen for Napoli, so they came in on the same day. Maybe they had a maybe they wrestled for the for the for the shirt. So I'm I'm just now comfortable. I'm assuming I'm not going to look into how old his father is or try and find that out. Um, but that might be why he's wearing eighty one and certainly not his year of birth. No, you have me worried there. I thought you were going to say you thought Raspadori was born in eighty one himself. Oh no, and I thought like I know you're a little bit old, Kev. I know we joke about that, but. How old are you? <laughs> like there, there must but, there must be some footballers out there still. I know that were born in eighty one. There was one in Japan, wasn't there? That was still going strong last year in his fifties. So um, yeah, no, there's definitely players that were born in eighty one for sure. But yeah. I mean, Giacomo Raspadori is quite famously a young, young up and coming player, right? I'm just trying to think. Didi Buffon, what year was he born in? 78, and he's 44. So, are there any 41-year-olds knocking about? Well, uh, Joaquin's still kicking it in, in, at Real Betis, isn't he? I was about to say, our friend... Um, uh, God, why have I forgotten his name? Sampdoria striker, please help me, Vito. Qualiarella. <laughs> Qualiarella, sorry. Yeah, mind, blank, mind blank there. He, he turns 40 this year, so he'd be... Does he? He'd be 82-ish era. Nah. 83, so he's oh, oh, so start, start, start next year then, I think, because he turns January 31st, 1983. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, there you go. All right. So, listeners, if you know any footballers born in 1981, let us know at Serie Total on Twitter and Instagram. But Napoli are looking decent. Now, I'm not going to get caught up in the whole Napoli are going to win the Scudetto. Napoli are going to be one of the three teams challenging for the Scudetto because, I mean... They won eight in a row last year and they were nowhere close to it. So we do have to be a little bit cautious when it comes to that. But I've got to confess, I'm quite pleased to see how well they've started because I always like when they're up there and and floating around. And I do quite like Luciano Spalletti too. I don't know if you guys saw, but friend of the pod, Patrick Kendrick, doing like the guy is everywhere doing everything. When he's not commentating, he's. Why can't I think of the word? He's interpreting. So he did the Napoli-Liverpool game, obviously did it for Klopp and did it for Spalletti, gone from Italian to English and vice versa. And after Spalletti gave his pre-match press conference, you could see just before he left, Patrick's like doing the last bit of his answer and Spalletti like leans to, I guess it's the press officer to his left. And he he seems to be asking, what's this guy's name? And then as soon as he finishes talking, he's like, Bravo, Patrick! And I just, I quite enjoyed that. It's a nice little touch. And you could hear Patrick's little, thanks, mister, which I love. Absolutely love that everybody calls coaches mister, even if it's not their coach in Italy. But elsewhere, Samp won Milan too. Vito, you must have had a little bit of hope when Filip Juricic leveled things up just before the hour mark. It looked like things were going to get better and I thought uh, that uh, it was a good chance to get at least a point out of this game and possibly even win it. Not only that, there's a part of me that uh, the score might have ended 2-1 to Milan, but it could have easily ended 3-1 to some, to be brutally honest. The reason I say that is the opening goal that Messias scored, I thought that... uh, I thought that... Uh, Aldero should have done much better to save the shot instead of let the ball go through his legs. Juricic actually could have scored earlier, but he hit the crossbar. And uh, towards the end there, Gabbiadini had come on as a sub, but then uh, Mike Magnan had made a save, and uh, unfortunately, some points able to get a rebound off that shot. But uh, yeah, then there was all that uh, 
furor and that whole fiasco in regards to the penalty that Giroud eventually scored. And even at the end, there were a few sendings off, including Marco Giampaolo. Did he get sent off? Do you know what? I missed that. At the very end, probably seven, seven minutes into injury time. That must oh, okay. um, make you happy then, Vito, because he won't be on the sidelines for a game. <laughs> oh, look. Um, yeah, just with him. And I think even one of his staff got sent off too, so I'm not sure what's going to happen there with the Spezia game. I'm not sure who the other person that got sent off was, but if that's like his second assistant. Be amusing to see who actually takes charge in the next ZDR game. You, What's um, happened there? Why has it gone like this since he's come back? Look, I I don't know honestly. Just uh, just seems that after he left the first time, he's really gone off the rails as a coach. I think at Milan and Torino, he's at he was at two clubs that have such rich football histories, and they wanted to get back to the top so badly, at least with Milan, Pioli taking over at the end of 2019. We've seen them fight for the Scudetto and then last season, they eventually won it. Torino seemed to be in decent shape under Juric, but uh, who knows if the Granata are going to fight for Europe or not this season. As for Samp, look, he's he hasn't been perfect, of course. He's made some mistakes, but I don't think it's totally his fault because uh, the squad is still quite weak and I don't think many other coaches who are better than him would improve this team a great deal. I still think that the ultimate problem is a lack of good ownership and good investment in the squad to make us competitive in Serie A. So it's going to be, it's uh, the way things are, it's going to be a tough season for Sump, but uh, I think it'd be unfair to use Giampaolo as a scapegoat. Kev, the Leo sent off. What happened? He kicked someone in the head. Is that a brief description for you? It might be a little bit too brief because some people aren't that... He, he, yeah, he attempted you know, an overhead kick. It was... Uh, you know, he's in the area, so you could argue... That he is, you know, there's there's need to to do it. It might have been a a, a rather audacious attempt at goal, um, but I think it, in if you're attempting that anywhere else, you know, say you're clearing the ball or it's just randomly somewhere else in the middle of the pitch, and you're gonna get you're gonna get sent off for it. So I, I don't think too many people can have complaints about him about him going. And again, he sort of, you know, Luke Millick walked off without any real sort of gesti- gestures to suggest that he was particularly surprised by the sending off. Um, Fair enough. That'll do. It, it was quite funny. Sending. Like, obviously, someone getting kicked in the head isn't funny. But mm. to get sent off while trying an overhead kick is a little bit funny. Yeah. It's but very funny, yeah. It's usually funnier when it's like a less technically gifted player. You know, say it was like a Mario, <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a Mario Rui, or somebody like that. You know, so, so, <laughs> yeah, quite oh, yeah. right. Or, or some somebody slightly vertically challenged. So it's 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 quite a it's quite a feat for them to get their head, their sorry, their leg up that high to kick somebody in the head. Mm. And um, I'd just like to on record because earlier you said that no one predicted that Samp would put up such a fight. Now on the preview, I did say that they were going to suck Milan down to their level and do what they did with Juve and potentially get a point. <laughs> So there you go. So, so and I did, did dismiss it. it. So I'll I'll hold my hands up. I did dismiss that out of hand. So fair play to you, Kev, for getting a prediction wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you're listening to this and you're not uh, familiar with the preview pod, that's because it's exclusively over on Patreon.com/slash Total Italian Football. You can sign up for two, five, or ten euro a month. You've got preview pods. European pods, women's football pods. There's all sorts going on over there. So please do head over to patreon.com slash total Italian football and help us out on the site. Vito, Inter, I mean, it was a similar story to the other Champions League clubs, Juve aside. They got the win. They just about got it. And like Napoli, it was almost in the 90th minute when they got the winner. Yeah, it was another struggle in this game. And... Then Razzurri left it late and uh, Brozovic uh, scored with a 
nice goal. It was a very tidy finish. It didn't give uh, Milinkovic Savage much hope in that aspect. But uh, yeah, um, fine goal and uh, a fine time to actually get the winner. You know, being so late. Uh, and that being said, also what's his name? Uh, Mah- sorry. Samir Handanovic probably had one of his better games for quite some time. I do think he's, you know, in the twilight of his career, needs to wind down, but uh, he probably turned the clock back with this performance. Ignoring the um, the results in midweek and comparing it just to Napoli, I tend to think that, you know, Inter are what, they're two points off the top. They're having a slow start, but they're there or thereabouts. You know, we it feels like we're constantly uh, at the start of every season talk about Napoli having a fast start, but they fall away. I think I would still rather be in Inter's position where you build into the season. You know, you remain in touch and distance, and then you can pick up later on. And if they're picking points up like this, then I wouldn't be overly concerned. I know there's there's often people start getting a bit panicky when things aren't going right. And they've obviously got some money trouble there where they've had to sell some fairly important players the last couple of years. But they're still they're, they're still challenging, which they weren't a couple of years ago. Is the problem with Inter, though, not that when they've played anyone half decent this year, they've lost? Maybe, but it's you know, if you're playing someone half decent, then there is a greater chance that they're gonna they're gonna beat you. So while you lose those points, it's like, well, those points are those are points that we probably thought we might have lost. Um, I think, and, yeah, and that allows you to keep. I don't think you expect to get zero from Bayern, Milan, and Lazio. You want at least four there. Uh, I don't. With Lazio away, uh, Lazio is probably the only one there where I think they probably would have expected a little bit more. Um, they wouldn't have wanted to lose against Milan, and but but Bayern are. It's not. It's. It's not just them being a better side, but in Europe they've they've got they've got that experience built up through those players. I think I think we're probably doing them a disservice to say they're well. Nobody's actually said they're in free fall, but we we take a relatively dim view of how they've started the season. I don't think it actually looks that bad when you look at the table. I was thinking about it just before we came on because the table was up after the Juventus game on the TV, and I thought there's only a couple of points separating those sides, and it's like until. And I've said this again on previous pods. That World Cup, I think everybody just needs to be in touch and distance until we come back from the World Cup, because some play, some teams that have got players there or players come back early from a World Cup, uh, it, it's gonna it is it is there are like two separate championships this season. It is. I find it really hard to make any sense of this season. Like the the normal rules of analysing what's happened and applying that to what we think may happen, they don't apply because it's a completely different season this year, unfortunately. Vito Lazio beat Verona 2-0. Pretty decent performance from the Bianco Celeste. Good 2-0 result. Yeah, good win based on the scoreline, and perhaps they probably could have doubled that score. They had more than sufficient chances to do so. There was a particular chance where... Immobile should have dribbled around Montipo and put the ball in, but uh, at least he had the one. That being said, I think he should have got two. But uh, all in all, I think uh, Sari will be happy with the result and the performance and keeps him in good stead, you know, keeps him in that battle for those European spots. They tend to have a problem, as, as Alistair McKenzie pointed out on the site in his post-match piece after their Europa League game, I mean, he rushed back from Napoli, got to Rome, and then had to go and watch Lazio in the Europa League. So I was quite pleased from that they won. But he did point out that they tend to struggle immediately after European fixtures. Now, that has the potential of being an even bigger problem this season because, I mean, there's just European matches every week. So there's a real risk that that could have a, a really detrimental impact on their domestic campaign. So for their sake, it's good that they seem to have, or seem to be shaking that off their back Kevin mm-hmm. the Derby del Apennino Bologna beat Fiorentina 2-1 Muzo Barrow opened the score no he didn't Lucas Martinez Cuarta opened the scoring Muzo Barrow leveled soon after and then Marco Anatovic got the eventual winner again just three minutes after Barrow had leveled go on what mighty Marco 
You know, no, Mighty Marcos. Mighty I, Marcos. Never, I never called him Fabulous Fabio, so I don't want you coming up here with Mighty oh, Marco. Okay. okay. You know, a class's permanent form is temporary. Yes. Yeah. But, but that's why Marnautovic <laughs> <laughs> is not going to score. I know, I know, I know. We'll end up having the same discussion every week yeah. at this rate. But it was... it was Listeners love it, mate. I think it was nice to see them get... Um, that was their first win of the season, was it? Obviously, after parting ways with Mihailovic and... I'm sure even he's, you know, relatively happy. Interesting that Barrow scored, given the... I, mm. I think we, we had this discussion. It was on the preview pod. It was on the preview pod, yeah. His, his relationship with Mihailovic and, and how he had personally reacted. So I was quite pleased for, for Barrow to score. Hopefully, we'll see that again. We'll see that, that best side of him again. But sorry, continue. Um. Well, yeah, it was just on that, you know, Mihailovic, I don't think he'll have too much ill feeling with, with Bologna, so it'll be happy for him that they, they got away with a win. Fiorentina's still, it's just, uh, I'm, I'm a bit baffled by them this season, what they're going to be. Under Italiano, there were sort of real glimpses last year that they would have another impressive season. Obviously, they, they, they made Europe, so maybe they had the exertions from Thursday night um, in their legs still today. But um, you hope they don't go back to the sort of underwhelming sign that they've been for the last few years because, mm. you know, I, you, that, that, that was it. It was sort of it's less, less, less about Bologna than it was about Fiorentina that they just haven't really got started this season. It is a shame. It does kind of look with, it, with every passing week, although it's still early, it looks as though last season may be the odd one out when mm. it comes to the recent history of Fiorentina, because they were stinking for quite a while. I think it's important to remember, we were like five, six seasons, they were rubbish. Um, speaking of rubbish, Atalanta won, Cremonese won, Vito, the, the, the Nerazzurri went 1-0 up, Cremonese came back, it finished 1-1, disappointing for the home team, but they're still level at the top of the table. Yeah, they're still, they're still up there, and uh, to be fair, I thought... Uh, Atalanta probably should have won this considering they had the more chances and uh, Radu in the Cremonese goal had to make quite a few saves so it wasn't like uh, Atalanta weren't creating the chances. Then of course there was that excellent free kick that Koopman scored but Tocoli stuck a hand out so that was a shame because I thought that was a fabulous hit from the Dutchman and, uh, and the interesting thing I find about this game aside from being a Lombard derby the Cremonese coach, uh, Massimiliano Alvini, is supposedly a Gasparini disciple. And you could see that with the formations, you know, 3 4 1 2. Uh, at times it looked like the teams were cancelling each other out. And then the person who scores the equaliser, Valeri, is a wing back. And to me, that's a very Gasparini esque type thing to have goal scoring wing backs. So who knows? I think given that uh, the Grigio Rossi strikers have not impressed me at all. Uh, I think maybe uh, Alvini needs to take more tips from Gasp and see if the <laughs> wingbacks actually can score more goals. Well, Atalanta are in desperate need of wingbacks at the moment because it, it's all dried up there. So maybe he'll end up making the move too, to Atalanta in January. Who knows? Who knows? Sassuolo 1, Udinese 3. Kev, Udinese are flying. They're fun again. They are. It, you do have to remember that they scored two of their goals in injury time. Otherwise, they would have been walking uh, walking away of a point. But it you counts, have to Kev. It's part of the it, match, it, famously. Of course, of course, it counts, yeah. And I think for the fact that it came against the Swallow has probably brought it to the attention of other people that maybe even Nazi are going to be the fun side now from um, in Syria. Well, you know, I passed comment before we started that if it, it feels like they're a little bit more fun. Um, Dina Tali sort of era Udinese. Um, but a bit like the Bologna Fiorentina game, it's it, it screamed out to me more that Sassuolo are con, um, continuing to struggle. Um, I think I said on the preview pod that I expected Udinese to win. Um, Salernitana had drawn... Salernitana, Sassuolo had drawn a blank in three of their five games before this, which is very unlike them because if anything, they've been free scoring most of the time they've been in the top flight. Um, losing Raspadori and Skamaka is clearly affecting them and uh, Juricic. So yeah, Juricic is a big one. They, on current form, are 
right up there for the surprise team that you would see sucked into sort of a relegation battle in a normal season. Again, they could come back and have a revitalised World Cup period where they can sort of regroup and and be flying like they they've always got the potential to do to do so. But um, yeah, they're, they're they're struggling at the moment. They are. It's disappointing. I remember at the start of last season writing about how Juricic was going to be the guy for Dionysi's team, whereas previously it had been Bogard, it had been Berardi, Caputo. But last year you could see early on that Juricic was the player that was that was most suited to what Dionysi wanted to do. And then he got injured and was out for the majority of last season, barring, I think, two months, possibly. And then there was a lot of excitement. He's going to have a, a star in role this season. And then he got sold quite late on. I mean, not on deadline day or anything, but it was later in the window than you might have expected, particularly with Raspadori and, and Skamaka going too. So it is a shame that he's he's not there anymore. I'm, I'm sure Vito will disagree, but I'm quite disappointed to not get to watch him on a regular basis. Um Allow me to just scramble for my phone now, guys, and I'm going to play an audio clip that you and Burns sent me. It was a, an unrequested audio clip from Lecce today. Now, was, it as good as, was it as good as mine from the unrequested one you got from the Derby della Hurtane last year? No, it, oh. it was good, but for very different reasons. Now, I'm not sure how well this will come across. If it doesn't come across well, I'll just I'll put it into the podcast anyway, but you should be able to hear it okay. Now, bear in mind, we weren't speaking. I We had sent a couple of messages today, but then this one just came out of the blue, okay? You ready? I can confirm that Monza is just a shite in person. <laughs> I Brilliant. can confirm that Monza are just a shite in person. <laughs> and, that, and that's even with the Sensi free kick. <laughs> yeah, he saw a lovely goal and he saw a nice <laughs> kit, but he's still not impressed. And he doesn't. And he doesn't not. swear that often. No, he doesn't, does he? He never no, he, says things like that. He, he's a very polite uh, chap. <laughs> he is, even in private. A lot of people might think it's just for the pod, but he really is like that. He doesn't often swear. So I did laugh a lot when I got that message. So we won't spend too much time talking about it. But Monza got a point, so congratulations to them. I hope they don't get too many more this season. Um. What else is there? Is that it? That's the lot. We've we've spoken about all of the Serie A games. Shake your head if I'm if I'm wrong, but I think we've got through them all. Of course, Monday night we've got Empoli Roma, which should be a good game to watch. I will just give a quick little plug here because tomorrow night, Monday night, I'm off to the Tardini for quite a historic day. Parma playing their first ever Serie A Femminile game at the Tardini. They're playing against Sassuolo, so it's a bit of a an Emilian Derby there as well, so that's quite exciting. Ewan and I will be doing the what is going to be a, a, a weekly women's football podcast on Tuesday morning, so do sign up to Patreon if, if that is your thing as well. And yeah, there'll be there'll be plenty going on. I'll, I'll be writing a piece from the Tardini tomorrow as well, so so do keep an eye out. Kev, why are you laughing? I was well, I was just I was thinking how many how many of your football your women's football weekly podcast do i have to listen to before i get up to speed with what's going on <laughs> i imagine it'll probably take me a good season if well, i tune don't worry in. kev now that you've said that i'll send them to you i'll send them to you whenever we record them i'll send them to you so you can keep up um i can see that you're ready to pack up kev but i'm gonna say don't do that just yet because i've got a game haven't i is it the game i thought up <laughs> it's the game you thought of good, so good. i've got a list of nine footballers in front of me okay all of them currently play in Serie A. I think this is quite easy because I was taking notes of names during this podcast, right? So it's it's quite a simple one. I think you'll do just fine. Um, I don't know how we're going to do it, though. So I've got a list of nine players and their shirt numbers. And you guys have to say... So I'll give you the first player. I'm not going to say the number, okay? Mm-hmm. And you have to say if the next player's name shirt number is higher or lower than the previous player's. Shirt number. Now, throughout this, as we go along, I'm not going to tell you the players' numbers, okay? But I'll tell you them all at the end, if that if that's okay, because I think it might get too easy at points with with some of the players I've got here. Do you want to do this as a team? 
I don't. I don't mind. It would. It reduces my chances of losing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we might have to for this first one. Mm. Okay, we'll do it as a team. What I will say though, Vito, is let Kev lead, right? <laughs> because it might be okay. more interesting that way. Because I think you'll know the answers. Okay. So Vito will be my phone a friend. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll make... <laughs> He'll be my assistant coach. Let's do that, yeah. Vito. You can make some facial expressions or, or get involved if Kev's about to make a serious mistake. Okay. So the first player we're starting with is Thomas Rincon. Okay. Yeah. Now, Kev, I need you to tell me, is the shirt number on Antonio Candreva's back higher or lower than Thomas Rincon's? See, I see what you've done here. Do you? And, what have I done uh, here? Because they could be very close, but I've got a feeling uh, Thomas Rincon changed his shirt number this year. So Candreva is now Candreva <laughs> is now higher. Did Thomas Rincon really change his shirt number? I believe so. I'm convinced okay, he's yes. gone from eight, 88 to eight, and Candreva wears eighty seven, and you were being you were being a pain. Yeah, or, 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 or a little shit in. Ewan's newfound vocabulary. I'm, I'm not going to confirm or deny the numbers, but I will say that, yes, Antonio Kondreva has a higher shirt number than Thomas Rincon. The next player, Kev, is Frank Andre Zambo Anguisa. Oh, that is uh, higher. Is it? Oh, I think I'm thinking... Do you have a number in mind? Yeah, 98, but I could be thinking of Ndombele. No, that's all. I'll just go higher. I'm sure he's wearing 90-something. Okay, you are correct, Kev. So we'll continue along these lines. Next up, we've got an Atalanta youngster, defender, playing quite a lot, Caleb Ocoli. Lower. Lower is correct. Marcello Brozovic. Oh, okay. Do you have a number in mind for Ocoli? He's I've a youngster, a... remember? Yeah, but I've got a feeling he's wearing something like 15. Okay, I mean, you can't get much higher than the 90s, and that's what you said Angisa was wearing, no, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Brozovic higher. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's you're 70s, correct. He's something like that. Junior Messias, Messias. Uh, lower, because he's 30. He is 30. Very good. I'm Hans good Hattabor. with the numbers. Uh, Hans Hattabor is high, because that's 77. Right, you've had a stinker with the number, but uh, you're right. right. He is higher. Igor. Oh, Igor, lower, surely. is He's on one digit now, is he? Oh! Unless he's changed clubs. I know he was, he was four so at Fiorentina. You're so close, Kev. You got to the eighth player. Oh. You got to the eighth player and you made the mistake. Now, Where is Igor now? Is he still at Fiorentina? Fiorentina, he got sent off. What, today? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. That's, that, that's what happens when you only watch the highlights. Oh, and um, the last player... Kev was was Giacomo Raspadori. I thought we could finish on one that we had spoken mm. about. So Thomas Rincon wears number eight. Candreva eighty seven. Anguisa ninety nine. Ocoli five. Okay. Brozovic seventy seven. Macias thirty. Hatabor thirty three. Igor ninety eight. And oh, Raspadori eighty one. Of course. So <sighs> he was so, so close. close. Vito, he did well, didn't he? He did. He did. I'm very proud of you, Kev. Although you didn't complete it. No. I next time do the are they still wearing the same shirt number as they were last season? I like I I think that one'd be harder. Tell you what, I panicked a bit because look, I wrote down Rincon eighty eight. <laughs> yeah. So when you said he changed his number, I was on Google straight away. Um even though I think we did discuss that earlier this season, but never mind. Um Thank you, listeners, for sticking to us. If you're still with us at this point, you'll hear from us again next Sunday night. But if you want a little bit more, it's patreon.com slash total Italian football two, five or ten euro a month. We will be back, Ewan and I, on Tuesday with the Women's Football Podcast. We will be back again on Thursday, someone, for the Europod. And we will be back again on Friday. It'll be Ewan and I from from Puglia, I guess, which is lovely. We might do it outside. You might get a little bit of a a bar atmosphere. I'm quite excited now thinking about that. So patrons, Patreon, no, non-patrons, patreon.com slash totalitalianfootball. Join us, join us. We've had a few new patrons so far this season and it's 
very much appreciated. So thank you to us all. We hope you're enjoying the content that we're putting out there. We continue to do that throughout the season, even though it's leaving us a little bit sleep deprived and in pain, um, especially with launching a brand new website as well. It's not been the easiest of starts to a season, but we'll get through it. Okay, Kev, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Mr. Doria, say goodbye. Goodbye. Yes, goodbye from me. We'll speak to you soon. Shout out to the day.